typically kind of our bread and butter, what we love to do and kind of the heart is to do expository Bible preaching. We love to take books and passages and work our way through them. But as a church, we're kind of in this midst of a, a little bit of a of challenge here. We've been talking about this impact project and looking ahead. So we've stepped away from that a little bit. We'll get back to it. Uh, but if you got your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. So if you're in the habit of reading through the Bible every year, how many of you do that? Let me, okay, numbers of you. Great. Well, that's awesome. Well, Tammy and I try to do that every year. And so you've been in Exodus. Uh, and as I was reading through, and that's the great thing about reading the Bible multiple times, is God brings things to light. Of course, now we're in Leviticus, and I wish we were back in Exodus. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff about... Uh, of uh, white hairs and black hairs is very interesting. But uh, anyway, but as I was reading through this year, there was just some really good stuff that uh, God brought to my heart as I was thinking about this whole idea of the impact project. And uh, if you're not familiar with that out in the foyer, we got some, some um, brochures and would encourage you to do that. So let's read these first nine verses together. Uh, Exodus 25, and then don't close it because we're going to keep moving because the, the story continues to unfold. So here we go. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant license, onyx stones and, and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. According to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the furniture, so construct it. So, We've been talking a lot about faith. We've talked about vision faith, what, believing God for what the what could be. We've talked about stretching faith. The faith is that muscle that God wants to grow and develop in our life where we're trusting him for things. Today I want to talk about the idea of generous faith. Generous. It's, it's part of that faith muscle that God builds into our life where we are generous with, with what he asks us to do. And what I found is, is that typically generous offerings, generous heart flows out of a heart that has been intimately engaged with God. Those that have known him, they've seen his work in their life. They, they've seen the answer to prayers. They, they've seen God work. So when you get to Exodus 25, you got to think context, right? So Moses is up on Mount Sinai. In chapter 20, he gets the Ten Commandments. He's still up there. So think about the children of Israel and all that they've seen of God in these moments leading up to this. So for 400 years, they've been in the land of Egypt, been pretty silent. We don't know how long. We don't know if it was 50 years, 100 years, 150 years, but someplace in that 400 year period, they became forced labor, like slaves. It was a very difficult life. Then God 
brings Moses to lead him out. Ten incredible miracles. And he leads them out. He then takes them to the Red Sea and he parts it in front of them so that they walk through on dry ground. When Pharaoh's army, who is now chasing them, comes, the, 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 the walls of water crash back down, take out Pharaoh's army, right? Deliverance. Then they get to a, this place and it's got springs, but the water is bad. So Moses goes and takes a piece of wood that God tells him, puts it in the waters, and now they've got beautiful, sweet water there at Marah. Then they run out of provision, and God now sends manna and quail so that they can eat every day. Then they run out of water again as they continuing to move towards Mount Sinai. And God brings water out of the rock. Now they get to Mount Sinai and God himself comes down on the presence of this mountain. In fact, so much so that that was a little much for them. They said, Moses, why don't you go up and meet him? We'll just kind of hang here, right? That's what's happened. And now... In this, for the first time, this engagement with God, this seeing God's provision, you got to skip on over to verse to chapter 35. So just go a few, about 10 chapters over, and you pick it up in verse 20. He says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. So Moses is up. He gets this in chapter 25 plus the Ten Commandments and all this. He comes down. He tells the people. Now here's how they respond. And everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of the meeting and for all the service and for all the holy garments. Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets and articles of gold so that every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord, every man who had in his possession blue and purple and scarlet material, the uh, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought the Lord's contribution. Every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of service brought it. All the skilled women spun with their hands and brought what they spun. Blue, purple, scarlet material and fine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred with the with the skill spun the goat's hair. The rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting on the ephod and for the breastplate and the spices and the oil for the light and the anointing oil for the fragrant incense. The Israelites, all the men and women whose hearts moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. So again, you got to understand They had seen God. They had seen God provide. There's now this thankful heart. And not out of duty, not out of sense. You know, a lot of times you talk about the law. You talk about a tithe, right? They were supposed to bring a tenth of everything. No, this wasn't that. This wasn't duty. This wasn't wasn't mandated. This was just this opportunity out of a free heart. A heart of thanksgiving. And man, when you are engaged with God and you see God work, that's often what brings this generous faith. I was thinking back to some of the early days at Desert Springs. So I've told you some of the stories of, of how God has provided. And I was thinking back to one, I, I, I don't know that I've 
told you this story in years and years and years. It was 1995, our first year. I told you about how we got started. There were 55 of us, men, women, and children. There were 30 that were there that were a part of Desert Springs originally. And by the way, those 30, so there were 60. They voted me in and 30 left and never came back, right? So there you go. But the 30 that were left, to be real honest, were some of the most gracious kind, loving, godly people, and, uh, but they were tired. I mean, they're just tired. And then there were 25 of us that came from our, our sister church, and quite honestly, we're all excited, right? But now we kind of got to do this, this dance, this, 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 how do we love each other well? And, and so on the part of those that were a part of Desert Springs, it's like they're tired and, and, and they don't want to get in our way, but we're, we're trying to be careful that we're not running them over, right, you know, and, and just throwing everything out, you know, and, you know, what, like what you did didn't matter. And, and, and they're, you know, and it was just this really interesting period of time for about six, seven months. And, and I would tell you that, in a lot of ways, the best way I could explain it would be in the pronouns of us and them. Us and them. We didn't want it to be. We're just trying to do this really well. We're trying to be very kind and gracious, and yet we're kind of stepping on each other's toes unknowingly sometimes. And, and, and it was tough. It was hard. And there were truly us and them. And then something happened in the summer that year. One of the couples that had come with us from Palmcroft, kind of an interesting couple. He was older, had uh, remarried a younger wife. They had just adopted a child. His name was Don, Don Harper. Uh, Don was our first drummer. By the way, that was our first band, was a drummer. That's all we had. And uh, he was, we had a little choir of five people. He was the bass. Don was uh, just a, a, a neat man. He loved the Lord. He was semi-retired. So this little girl that they had, they had adopted, um, he, he was kind of the primary caregiver. And he just lit up whenever she was around. It was fun to watch. His wife was an interior designer and, and her business was just starting to go. In fact, all this kind of happened uh, there in the summer. There was a big thing for home and design there at the uh, Civic Center downtown Phoenix. And Don had asked some of us to come in to help set up. We thought that would be great. And so a number of us want to do that. And late that night as we're setting up, Don said, hey, listen, I've got to run. Somebody's flying in. It was a family member. And he took off, and that was the last time we would ever see him. Because on his way to the airport going east on Jefferson, there at, uh, I believe it was uh, 7th Street, 7th Street or 16th Street, uh, a drunk driver running from the police heading south T-boned him and he didn't survive. And in the midst of that tragedy God did something really unique. It was from then on never us and them. It was just us. Because we all had to jump in and, and love on each other. I mean from just even the immediate we had just unloaded this big old truck of stuff and, and now obviously that at all we had to load it back up take it to their house uh, care for this widow care for this this young little baby girl 
I know that there were men in our church that literally for the next couple years went and took care of their landscaping and mowed their grass and just, and that was that, that moment. And it was so cool because in that moment, God was also doing some other neat things. We're seeing people come to faith in Christ, right? I told you, the first person who came to Christ was a young girl uh, in high school. And then she ended up going to Arizona Christian University and, and, and went into ministry, married a, a pastor. And we're, we're also starting to grow, you know. By the fall of that year, we're, we're now up to about 100, which is about as big as, as Desert Springs on its own had been. And, it was just this excitement, this thanksgiving of what God had done and was doing. And yet in the midst of it, uh, uh, we were still struggling financially, right? Which wasn't a huge thing because Palmcroft was helping us, but we really wanted to do it on our own. And, and, but we had fallen about $10,000 short. And that fall, we thought, you know, let's do something. So we had what we called a miracle offering because it was going to be a miracle, right? There was a hundred of us. Now, again, that's men, women, children. So you can kind of get down to the idea of how many families there were right and we were going to try to raise ten thousand dollars and it was a different social economic area it was a different time back in 95 a lot of us were in different stages of life you know young kids extra money was hard to come by and yet families sacrificed and sold stuff and saved up and kids did stuff and it was is we were so excited about what was God is doing. When, when it was finally said and done, it was about four weeks. I believe it was the month of October. Once you know it, $11,000 had come in. You know, just thankfulness. And then, uh, then you, I've been telling you last week, I told you a story 2002, 3, and 4 when we moved from Glendale to, uh, to Litchfield Park and we got in this new building and right, we only had so much money in the bank kind of get us through to September. Um, well, what was interesting, the same thing, we, we knew we were going to be short, right? There's 250 of us and we, we, we estimated it's going to be about $125,000. So we did another miracle offering, right? It worked once, let's do it again. And $125,000, there's 250 of us. You start doing the math, right? And, uh, you know, people again, sacrifice, praying. But, you know, that year, I was looking at some of the numbers this year. Do you know in 2004, that year that we moved out with 250 people, we saw over 100 professions of faith that year in the ministry of Desert Springs. We saw 50 of them be baptized. In fact, yesterday I did a memorial service for a man who, who just passed away who uh, they actually had pictures. I'd forgotten of, of that, but I baptized them. I think it was that, that first year we came. In fact, you remember we, you know, we bought a Catholic church and then we went to do baptism and found their baptistry is like really small. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we go, okay, we got that problem. So we went and bought, I think we went down to Walmart and bought this big old inflatable pool, right? We put it in the impact center. They had some pictures. I'd forgotten about all that. And, and, but we saw 50 people baptized. We also went from an average attendance of 250 to by the end of the year, an average attendance of 400. And by the time we hit November and people were starting to get in, I, I, I was rereading a, a Thanksgiving letter I wrote that of that 125,000, about two-thirds had come in roughly. Um, 
we were about $70,000. And I just was saying, folk, God's blessed and all of this, but we really need to make this goal so we can go into 2005 with some momentum. Do you know the last six weeks of that year, a little over $85,000 came in, $155,000 total. Why? Well, because generosity flows out of Thanksgiving when, when God's at work. And there's another cool thing in this passage that I like. I, I don't know if you noticed it. Here in chapter 35, uh, it says, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. He says it in 22, those whose hearts moved. You see it again in verse 26, um, whose hearts stirred within them. When you're walking in intimacy with the Lord, there's a sensitivity to what God is saying to you. Now, I know some people have told me, hey, God woke me up in the middle of the night and told me to do that. I mean, they you know, feel like they almost heard God speak to them. That's not how it is for me. For me, it's usually a burden. It's a, a sense that this is what God wants me to do. I mean, have you ever had that moment when maybe somebody you haven't thought of six months, a year, and God puts them upon your heart, and it's just like this burden? So you call them and find out they're going through this time of crisis crisis and it was just exact that that's the thing he just he puts this burden upon our heart and he tugs on our heart and we may not ever know why in fact i was the recipient of that i'm at moody bible institute i'm trying to pay my way through school it wasn't a whole lot of money but uh i didn't make a whole lot of money right and uh, the one summer I had not been able to save enough, so that fall I was working and, you know, just making payments and had a payment come and due the end of the following week. And I'd worked, I'd gotten paid, I had just enough to make my payment, which is all great, man. I'm praising the Lord, right? Right up until I was in church then on Sunday and they passed those dumb buckets. And, you know, I, I was... I was taught as a young person, I practiced in my life, you always give the first 10% to the Lord. It's what you do, right? That's good discipline in your life. And I'm thinking, but if I give 10%, I can't make my payment at the end of the month. And I think God wants me here at school, right? And, and so I went through that whole thing. I end, long story, I ended up giving it. Well, unbeknownst to me, God had tugged on some people's hearts, there was a little African-American church that uh, my home church had helped plant in the other community. And they were some of the sweetest, most wonderful people. And they, had, uh, they used to invite me to come over and preach. And I just loved to go over there. They, they didn't care how long I went. Uh, they, they, and they just were, they, they, loved, they loved me. And uh, it was so cool. Anyway, that week... I get this card from them, and it just says, Steve, uh, God's laid you upon our heart. We don't have much, but we want to invest in your ministry. And if I remember right, it was a check for 50 bucks, which, you know, doesn't seem big now. It was huge then because it was exactly what I needed. But it was this idea, you know, they, they were listening to the voice of God, and it was exactly what I needed. And the cool thing is, when you think about this idea of generous faith, is that it always gets you to that point of abundance. So if you skip one more chapter over, chapter 36, and you look at verse 3, they received from Moses all the contributions that the sons of Israel had brought to perform. And notice the end of part of verse 3. And they still continued bringing to them 
the free will offerings every morning. So every morning when the skilled workers got there, there was more stuff. So you get down to verse 5. So they went to Moses and they said, the people are bringing much more than enough to the construction of what we need. So Moses issues a command and a proclamation and which circulated through the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer bring stuff, right? He restrained them. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, but those are those moments when God is moving, people are walking in harmony within, they're listening, and there's always that sense of abundance. And Wade and Shannon, I couldn't help but think of three years ago. I mean, it was just about right now. For those of you who don't know Wade and Shannon, they are, you know, they're part of our church, they've been part of our church family forever. God called them to Nicaragua. And uh, they're down there serving as missionaries, and it's a wonderful thing. And back in 2016, we planted our first church, and it was such a great success, such a beautiful thing. And, and as an elder board, we just felt like this is what God was calling us to do. So we set a goal. By the time 2022 gets here, we want to plant two churches. Now, here's the thing most people don't think about, but being that that's kind of my world, you, you really need about two, two and a half, even three years to plant a church. You got to find your church planner. Then you got to get him here and you got to get him to know people. And then he's got to build his team. Then you got to figure out where to go. It just takes some time. So we're all excited. We're going to plant two churches. And I can't find a church planner. I mean, I'm kicking over every rock I can find. I can't find a church planner. We're into the spring of 2018. I don't have a church planter. So it was right around early March, I get this email from Wade from Nicaragua. Hey, I know you want to plant churches. Have you ever thought about planting one in Nicaragua? And I'm going, no, I really hadn't. But then he told me the story. We started a Bible study in this little town. It's grown from 20 to 40 people, I think in about three, four months, if I remember correctly. He says, so we started doing some research, and in this town of 20, a greater area, 25,000 people, there are no, zero, none evangelical churches. Now, folk, you got to understand, when we planted Mission and we planted Salt, there are other churches within a couple miles, right? In fact, there's just churches everywhere. So kind of, we're not looking for places that don't have churches. We're kind of looking for churches... Places that don't have churches like us, you know, does expository preaching, that kind of stuff. We, we factor that in. So to have a community of 25,000 people that has no evangelical witness, I mean, that got my attention. So we set up about a week later a Zoom call with our elders. He shared it with, and here was the other thing. They found this piece of property right on the main drag, which is not only the main drag of the town, it's the main drag of Nicaragua. And it used to be a dance hall. You talk about redemptive stories, right? So they got buildings, they got a stage, they got a land to put their soccer field because they do a lot of children's sports. And uh, it was going to be $120,000. And then we would need to take on the, the pastor and his wife as our missionaries, which we could do. But man, $120,000. So we, we met with the elders. The elders said, hey, let's take a week. Let's pray about it. Well, in that week, it's like all of us were saying, man, we got to do this. This is what a great opportunity. And then we brought it to the church. And man, there was such a excitement then my dad walked in the door right you remember my dad he was a man of great faith you talk about generous faith he goes listen this is what you need to do he said you know god's blessed you guys you're head of of your budget for the year 
take Easter. Easter was in four weeks. And just, hey, everything that comes in, right? You all remember what happened? In four weeks, as a church, your hearts were moved to give. We raised $205,000, which not only paid for the property, fixed it up, funded the, the pastor and his wife, but bought them a number of stuff that, that they're, still, they're still using. In fact, to the point where I had to say, quit giving. We've really given them enough, right? Uh, we, we got plenty. Generous faith. Now, here's two things you got to understand about generous faith. Number one, it reflects the character of God. That's why it's so important. Our God is a generous God. I mean, you think about Israel. What did Israel pay to get out of Egypt? Nothing. What had they paid for the water, the food, the quail, all that? Nothing. What did, they, what did God demand of them? Nothing. He did it as of his grace. It's just like us in our life. I mean, you think about what we need for life. We need oxygen. We need sunshine. We need land that will grow stuff. What does God charge us for that? Nothing. He's a generous God. We see his generosity, of course, in what we've already celebrated this morning. He sent Jesus to die for us. Right? What did our salvation cost us? Nothing. It's grace. Jesus paid it all. And if you and I are going to reflect the character of God, then we have to develop a generous faith. If we're going to be salt and light to this community, and what's interesting, if you study history, do you know where hospitals, the caring for the sick actually started with? With Christians. Many of the organizations today that don't seem too Christian, but they're about giving aid to wherever. If you go back and say, they started as Christian. Why? Because we have got to reflect the character of our God, who is a generous God and cares for the poor. That's why Paul tells Timothy to encourage the people in the church, instruct them to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You know, buy the guy the pizza, Right? who's hungry out at the gas station to be generous. Here's one last thing, and I've got to close here pretty quick. When you think about generous faith, what you have got to understand is where does the stuff come from? So there's an interesting question in all this. And the question is, where did the Israelites get their stuff? Remember, so for the last 50, 100, 150 years, they've been forced labor. They're poor. They don't have much. Where did they get their stuff? Well, if you know the story, it actually goes all the way back to the beginning of Exodus when God comes to Moses at the burning bush way before any of the miracles. And he says, you're going to lead them out. And oh, by the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you won't go empty-handed. But every woman will ask her neighbor and ask the women who lives in her house for articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And you will put them on your children. You're going to plunder them. I mean, think about it. In the midst of, at the same time, God is hardening the heart of Pharaoh. God is softening the hearts of the people. 
Then you get to Exodus 10, 11, and 12, and God reminds Moses. Moses, tell the people to ask. So where did it come from? Did it come from God's hand? God's provision? God's favor? God's direction? God had provided for them all that they had. And what I want to remind you is that the true Christian worldview is that everything that you and I have really belongs to God, right? The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, Psalm 25. What you and I have is not ours, it's his. We're just here as managers, right? We're here, the word, the biblical term is the idea of stewards. We've been given responsibility. It's our, it's our job to take what God has given us and to use it the way we think Jesus would want us to use it. So, so, so my house, my cars, my bank account, my salary, my income, all of that is something that, that we are, are to give an account for someday because it's ours to use in the way that the master would want us to. And part of that is, is that we push past what I would call the normal, the expected generosity. You know, many of us as Christians have this idea, and I think it's a, it's a good idea, that, you know, a tenth off the top. Now, again, it's not mandated for Christians, but it's a great example, it's a great principle, I think, of Scripture. And many of us look at it that way. But generous faith pushes beyond and says, okay, God, when you move my heart, and folk, I truly believe that that's what this impact project is about. You know, when we look at 2004 and, and the way people gave and sacrificed, when we look back all the way to 1995 and again, the way people gave and they sacrificed, you know, they were, they were telling stories. They were building stories for a next generation. They, they, were, they were living in faith that was going to allow us to come here and to be able to minister to you. And this, I believe, is our moment in our time to raise up our generations, to, to see the stories come together through our faith and our sacrifice that 5, 10, 20, 25 years down the line they're going to be able to tell. Because, folks, this is how you raise godly generations. I, I was thinking about this this week, and this is very personal to me. So I raised my kids here at Desert Springs, right? I don't think any parent has any greater desire that your kids go up to follow the Lord, especially if you're a pastor, because a lot of times it doesn't work, Right? I couldn't help but think in 1995 when we had that first miracle offering and through that little band and we were, you know, all scrimping and saving in order to give and not only 10 came in but 11 came in. My son Jamie was seven years old. He got to see God's faithfulness. Think of 2004 when we moved here and my middle son JJ was serving as the youth pastor out at Salt Church, right? By the way, you know they had 22 kids come to their first Sunday morning meeting. It's a, it's a neat thing. But he was just into junior high when we were trying to raise $125,000 to help us make that stretch. You see, these are the stories. These are the moments in which we, we, we disciple, we teach our kids that God is a God who is faithful. 
they become the moments of God's faithfulness that we tell to future generations. In the days ahead when we, people look and, and they want to know why is this church so engaged in world evangelization and planting churches. It's, it's these stories. You know, so often I'm pull the rocks out, right? We tell the, build a memorial like Joshua did. This is the next rock. This is the next moment. And that's why we're asking you to ask the Lord, God, what would you have us to do?